All right, I'm, I'm going I'm to pray for you a Bible prayer. Just, just going to pray this over us all, really, from the, the Passion Translation. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. just want to note that know about it, experience the hope of calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. <laughs> I'm praying that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power. <laughs> Can you just note that word again? I'm praying... Paul's praying, I'm praying, we're praying that we will continue to experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. That your lives will be an advertisement of his immense power as it works through you. <laughs> I want to be that kind of advert, do you? This is the mighty power, and, and in case we hadn't understood, he says this is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised. Not just in this age, but in the age that is coming. Wow. I've been feeling for a while that, that we should do a, a series, which I often do little series, but actually together we're going to do a series on victory leading up to Easter Sunday. Are we going to celebrate our socks off, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? And we, and we, we sang it this morning, that All Hail King Jesus. Oh, what a great song that is, eh? Just to worship the king with that is just amazing. And, and, and so I'm starting this morning, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about victory. Yeah. We're going to talk about Jesus. And, and I, I'm getting this sense that, 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 if you like, the last move of the spirit, the, the, the move that came out of Toronto in the 94 and so on, that's still moving around the world, the emphasis that always, there's always an emphasis with things that God releases from heaven. And the emphasis was the heart of the Father and still is the heart of the Father. I'm getting a feeling that God's stirring up a massive release of an experience and a revelation of the nature of Jesus Christ. Um, I do this exercise with people sometimes. I say, just stop for a moment. When I say the word Jesus, what picture comes into your head? And, and I've blown the opportunity now, so I'm just going to talk to you about it. But often what happens is we, people think of him on the cross. They think of him looking like a hippie. They, 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 very rarely is the thing that jumps into our brains this glorious being enthroned in heaven. Um, <clears throat> And, and I want to I address that in these, these weeks to come. I want us, and different ones of us are going to partner together. Jan's got a message. Uh, Anthony's going to chip in. I think Simon may be chipping in too. So you're going to get a theme of victory and seeing Jesus. Not on a cross. Cross is empty. 
grave is empty. Not going to be filled again. Uh, I, I, did, I prayed that prayer over us from Ephesians 1 because I looked at all of Paul's prayers for the church and for believers. I can't find one where he prays that we would see the cross. All of them are full of this desire that we'd experience the incredible power of God, that we would see the incredible revelation of who he is and who we are, that we would see it in terms of the mighty revelation of, what, of the power that was exerted in raising Jesus Christ from the dead and enthroning him. They're all in terms of us seeing the, the might and the length and the depth of the love of God that's released to us and through us and in us. I can't find an exhortation in Scripture that says come to the foot of the cross. I find exhortations in the New Testament that tell us to come to the throne of grace, that tell us to fix our eyes on the things that are our above. Uh, John G. Lake, a famous revivalist who, who was an American, but most of his ministry was in South Africa, is quite well known there is now long long dead but planted many churches saw incredible miracles many many incredible miracles and he said this the great majority of Christ, the Christian world is still weeping at the foot of the cross the consciousness of mankind remains fixed on the Christ who died not the Christ who lives people are looking back to the redeemer who was not to the redeemer who is And if we have a distorted view of Jesus, it creates a distorted Christian. It creates a distorted Christianity. It creates, if, if we see Jesus as less than who he really is, we will live less than who we really are because he is, he is a mirror for us. When we see him, we see us. That's how it was designed to be and you'll see that as we teach through this morning. We need a mirror to know who we are. James talks about looking in the perfect law looking in in the word and seeing ourselves in a mirror and then we tend to walk away and forget the truth of that Jesus is the living word and as we look at him we see the truth about us but if our image of him is is marred or distorted we're never going to truly know who we are and who he's made us to be so what you think about Jesus what you experience of Jesus is really important to how you live as a believer, how you live as a Christian. So I'm praying that we'll be overwhelmed with an understanding of the magnitude of his power in the finished work of Christ. Because this is what results in the dynamic of your faith. Wow. Wow. And 1 John 4 puts it simply like this. It says, as he is, so are we in the world. So many of us tend to think of him as he was. As he is, so are we in this world. And it's time to start thinking in terms of who Jesus truly is and being impacted and and experience that victory. So uh, if you've got a... Bible, and hopefully you do, as you came to church, it'd be really handy if you did, in some version. We're going to go uh, look at Colossians chapter 1. I don't know if it's coming up on there or not, but we're going Colossians chapter 1. I'm actually just going to take us through 
this prayer of Paul, uh, which is mighty, and, and I will do my best to give it some explanation and help us on the way. So we're diving in at verse 15, Colossians 1. I'm going to read it to you in my version, which is ESV. He is the image, so talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. <laughs> and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Wow. You ready? Strapped in? Prayed up? So he is, he is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Before Christmas, I did quite a lot on this, that Jesus is the exact representation of God. What's beautiful about it is Jesus is the image. It's something that as humans is easy for us to grasp because he is the image of the invisible. He's the visible demonstration of the invisible God. And that's kind of handy for us. Some people say, well, just show me God. Well, there's Jesus. You can read about him. He was God in the flesh. He was, he was the full and final articulation of God. He was the logic of God. He was, he was fully God. And we, I stood up here a few times and hid behind various people. There is, there isn't a different God hiding behind Jesus about to jump out and scare you. Jesus is God. Nothing else needs to be added and nothing needs to be subtracted from that image. He is the image of the invisible God. That, that's a big idea to get your head around. And this is only the first sentence and that's only the first clause of the sentence. And, and I just want to say that quite a lot of commentators think that this section was like a song or a hymn that the early church sang in the first century. Isn't that amazing? All this truth happening in one sentence. This is, you know, Sunday morning, what are we singing? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, or something like that. It needs work. It needs a lot of work. Um, the firstborn of all creation, what does that mean? What it doesn't mean is that Jesus never exists. There's never a point in time or space or eternity where Jesus didn't exist. It didn't mean that God wasn't a father and then he gave birth to Jesus to become a father. That's not what this means because they are co-eternal and co-existent. So the father, there's always been a father and a son. So God never became a father. He's always been a father. Jesus has always been a son. Is that, is that okay? What he is is the firstborn. Of, what this really means is He's the original man design. He's the original man design. So it's a little bit like, hmm, this is not exactly what it's like, but just to try and illustrate, it's a little bit like 
God says, let's make man in my image. And he makes, he makes them male and female. He creates them, Genesis 1, 2, 3. You see that, the creation of, of humans. And he gives them this total freedom to make choices. And they make some really rubbish choices. And they basically break the thing that they've been given to look after. But God, but God had another one. Not just another one in case, but another one that was the first. Jesus was always the plan. He wasn't the backup plan. But it's a bit like, well, here's one I prepared earlier type moment. So it broke. They broke it. It it broke. And we live in a world that that man broke. But Jesus is, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the one that isn't broken. God had the original ready to display, to remind those who broke and fell away what their original design was supposed to look like. So the definition of sin in in Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the... Humans were made to live and express the glory of God. When they broke it, they lost the glory. Jesus never lost the glory. So when he appears, he's reminding us of who we were actually intended to be. He's the sinless one. He's the one who's, in, who's expressing the glory of God, not who's lost the glory of God or fallen short of the glory of God. This means when we think about being like Jesus, we tend to think it's not attainable because that's what we've been told because we're just human. He is the original design of just human. So what we believe is a lie and because that's what we believe, it means we don't think it's possible. What this passage is telling us is it's possible to be like Jesus because he's the first of our kind. He's he's the original design. He's the unbroken, unsullied, undimmed version of you. That's the first sentence. How are we doing? Just kind of gather your brains back in, stick them back in your head. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Whew, that looks like an easy one, doesn't it? We can, we can go with this, verse 16. By him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible. Oh, it starts to get bigger now. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We tend to think of creation simply as the physical creation of the earth. And maybe we think a bit bigger uh, as the cosmos or the universe. But actually, Jesus created all the spiritual and authority structures as well as all the physical realities. So nothing that exists, exists apart from he made it. There is no other creative force that creates things in the universe. The devil is not a creator, he's a copier and a distorter. Everything and everybody that comes into existence comes alive because they're made by God. 
and specifically by the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can think, well, he made Adam and Eve, but actually the perspective of the Bible writers, David says that God fearfully and wonderfully made him in his mother's womb and, and formed him in his mother's womb and that all his days were written in God's book before he even started them. Now this is thousands and who knows how long after the birth of Adam and Eve. God made everybody. Jesus created everybody. Jesus created everything. There's no one alive that God didn't create. Doesn't matter how you came to life, God made you. You weren't an accident in his mind. It doesn't matter what your parents or lack of parents told you or did to you, he planned you. Ephesians 1 tells us, verse 3, all, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. <laughs> it's a good verse, but it's not the right one. <laughs> he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So before God created the physical universe and the world that we live on, he thought about you. You are his forethought, not his afterthought. He wasn't like, oh, I've got a planet, who are we going to put on it? No, he thought about all of us and said, let's make a world to put them on. And he didn't think of you as like this big general mob with numbers on your head. Oh, come in, number 23, it's your time on the planet. Oh, it's you, yeah, it's Merrick. Yes, well, okay. Yes, we could do with a bit of improvement. Well, that was the best we could do in the time we had. Let's roll him out to planet Earth. No, he knew my name. He imagined me, he thought about me, he created me, he loved me, he delighted in me. And then he said, come on earth, get a load of this guy. Yeah. And he used my mom and my dad and all of that to make that happen. But he invented that idea too. He's the creator of all things. Yeah. We live in a world that doesn't believe in a creator. It's just wrong. It means every human being that exists, did exist, or will ever exist, already exists in the heart and mind of God. In Jesus. So if you've ever felt unwanted, unplanned, or an inconvenience, and an inconvenient accident, get free this morning. He planned you from before the time he thought about making the world. He made the world to put you on it. And when he thought about you, Ephesians tells us that he delighted to think about you. It wasn't like, oh, a pretty big planet, need a few more bodies. <laughs> he is, verse 17, before all things. So actually you are before all things because you were in him. Just think about that. Remember, this is what they're singing in church on Sunday morning in some dusty place in Asia Minor in, I don't know, AD 65. Why is this important? You'll, you'll see. You'll see what's important. Here's before all things. 
and in him all, all things hold together. He didn't just make it, but he keeps it. His creation's glue. If he stopped holding things together, we would, we would vaporize. We would, he didn't just make us. He, he, he means, he's the means by which everything is sustained. You know, sometimes it feels like your life might be coming apart. Fear not. He's holding you together. It never was you to start with. Isn't this amazing? Everything came into being through him. Everybody has existence in him. Paul, Paul said it when he was talking to, to the, the, the Greeks uh, in, in Athens. And he said, he quoted their poet. And he said, this is true, isn't it? That in him we live and move and have our being. Every human who knows God or doesn't know God, they exist and live and move and have their being because of Jesus. Every human being doesn't matter their belief system, their attitude to God. Every human being lives and breathes and moves and has its being because of the breath of Jesus. And he's the head, verse 18, of the body, the church. He's the beginning. Oh, here we go. And the firstborn from the dead. So he's the head of the church. Yay. He's the senior pastor. Very excited about that. That in everything he might be preeminent. The goal is that he becomes famous through everything. So the idea isn't that there's some huge stadium and that we put on the guest appearance at the second coming is Jesus and everybody's going to come and see how awesome he is and go, yay, Jesus is famous. That's not his route to fame on the planet his route to fame is through everything and everyone he made it's not a final gig for Jesus we're the gig he's going to get famous through us through those he made and then he'll come do do you see I think there's that sense in which we're making it possible for him to return he's not going to come and take over our job It's terrible when someone gives you a job and then they step in and do it for you, isn't it? You're like, I was just about to... It's not like that. It's like, I delegated this to you. You're going to shine me out and then I'm going to come. I'm going to be famous because of you. And in fact, in Revelation, it says the spirit and the bride say come. There's a sense in which the church starts to call their beloved back to earth. Oh, I don't know what that does to you, but I like what it does to me. <laughs> He's the beginning. What's he the beginning, beginning, beginning of? He's the beginning of not being dead anymore. He's the firstborn from the dead. So this is the thing in which Jesus is born, right? He was never created. He always existed, but he was birthed from death. Firstborn from the dead. Now that is more than an interesting historical fact that you should believe as a believer so that you can get your ticket clicked by St. Peter at the gates of glory. 
Right, what do you believe? I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe he's died for my sins. Check, you're in. No, that's not what this means. What this means is, there's a song with this phrase in it. If he walked out of the grave, you're walking too. There ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Because he was the, all right? He doesn't say he was the only one. Do you see the point? The point isn't there's this great gig for this amazing guy, Jesus. He rose from the dead and then he's going to come back. No, the point is he was the first to rise from the dead. That means there's going to be others. That means it's you. So I've been thinking about my funeral, not because I'm planning on having it anytime soon, but when I read stuff like this, I start to think about death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? When it's time for me to go, have a party. Because there ain't no grave going to keep me down. Death is a door, it's not an end. Have a knees up because I am not going to be sad. Oh, death. We, we, we have been so washed over by the culture of our age. You know, well, let's, let's, have, a, let's have a service. Let's, let's celebrate his life. No, I want you to celebrate that I'm dead. <laughs> well, let's try and think of all the good things he did. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'm sure that'll help you guys. But I want you to celebrate the fact that I'm in glory. I'm seeing the face of Jesus. And one day I'm going to walk out of my grave with a better body than I went into it in. Come on. He's the firstborn. He showed it can happen. And I'm in him and he's in me. So I'm walking out of my grave. Please bury me. Something about being buried. I feel like I just have this vision of me rising out of the tomb. With a glorious new body. Come on. So, you know, we have losses. We have. We have but when they're believers they're going to a better place and they're coming back with Jesus when he appears with a new body no grave is holding them down it preaches well doesn't it that oh, come on just turn to someone and say there's no grave going to hold you <clears throat> doesn't matter how young or old you are you still get to get a new body. <coughs> Imagine singing all this every week. Verse 19. Got to hurry up. In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Yeesh, capish. Oh, I just got to do a little dance. <laughs> God, this is amazing. Can we read that again? Like it's one sentence. In him, let's read it together. In him, all the fullness of, what's the big word in the sentence? God was pleased to dwell. Let's do it again all as a wanna. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So all the trinity, all the infiniteness, all the power, all the glory, all the holiness, all the otherness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of it dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. Whoa. Whoa. And the other thing to say, and I've said this before, Jesus didn't have a special body. His body was just like yours. 
They didn't soup one up just to get God inside of it. They didn't add some extra modifications so that it could contain God. No, Jesus actually walked the earth at peace as a human being who was also fully indwelt by God and he didn't explode or melt down. Isn't that good? <laughs> he, he, sh- what happened, see this, this, this is just this bit we call the incarnation. This bit's absolutely crucial to the rest of the victory. If Jesus didn't have a first breath coming out of a womb, then the first breath in the tomb wouldn't mean anything. If he didn't have a first breath coming out of a womb, then his first breath in the tomb wouldn't mean the same thing. And his last breath on the cross wouldn't mean the same thing. Who he is, this man and God together, is absolutely crucial and pivotal to the whole thing making sense and the whole thing happening powerfully. All the Trinity, all the fullness, all the infiniteness, all the goodness, all the, all the holiness, all the power, all the glory, all the deity, di- living inside a human body called Jesus. He brought the spirit realm and the body realm together. Never to be separated. And he totally foxed everybody around him because they all thought in separation terms. And Jesus said, it's possible for heaven and earth to be in the same place at the same time. It's possible for man and God to be 100% in union and be happy about it. It also shows that the human physical An emotional existence that God created is spacious enough to fit God inside. Do you remember? Jesus didn't have a special body. He had a body like yours. If his body can contain all of God without major problems, it tells us that God in his wisdom in created design designed humans to be adequate receptacles for for God. He made you spacious and roomy enough to get the infinite God of the cosmos inside of you. How about that? If it can happen for Jesus, it can happen for you. Well, it has happened for you. Most of you sitting in this room nodding and thinking, God's inside of you, just like Jesus had God inside of him. Believing it is the next bit. They didn't have to shave bits off. Jesus like, ooh. Teresa, yeah, I can't quite get all of me in there. I'll leave my legs, and then then we'll make it. No, the fact that the, all the fullness lived in him means all the fullness lives in you. So we, we, for us, we need to get over the sometimes the nervousness we have about spirit things, about Holy Spirit, because we're designed for Him. This means so much because it means that light, John puts it this way, light invades the darkness. 
and the darkness didn't overcome it. So Jesus, this, this God and man in whom the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form, he comes and he's born inside a world governed by Satan and broken by man. He comes to live as God inside of the mess, the shame, the sin, the brokenness of humanity. And that does not overcome him. He overcomes it. That's why this sang, the first few verses of John was one of the other songs. And in that the book of John, it says, there's a line in there that he's the, he's the light and he was the light and the darkness couldn't overcome it. Maybe they sang that every week. Good to sing that. He put light in darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it. (laughs) He lit up a dark world with signs and wonders, truth, power, and love. He showed the truth about God inside a broken and fallen humanity. And many couldn't comprehend him, and many didn't receive him, because he didn't fit the model in their heads. Because there was a lie about God, there still lies about God propagated in our world, propagated in our societies, that God's mean, that God's angry, that God's stuffy, that, that this, this, this lie is propagated by man to give man an excuse for not connecting to God. And it's projected onto God. And when Jesus showed up, he showed what God was really like, and everybody's going, wow, he doesn't fit our lie. So we don't like him because he's given us no reason to not come to God. He's amazing. We've got to find a way of getting rid of him because this could change the world. And Jesus stands up and says, yeah, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That makes sense now, doesn't it? time to believe believe be believing believers believe that he does good that he is good and he does good things and that he's at work in our lives in our planet against the powers of darkness against the evil against all that destroys against all that steals and against all that kills because that's what Jesus showed and that's what he's doing in you and through you he's relentlessly going after nasty stuff and he wants to do it through you. Now you are the light. He actually said that. We're the light and the darkness can't overcome you. doesn't mean it's not dark. It just means it can't put you out. Verse 20. And we're done. If only it was that simple. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by his blood on the cross. Yikes. See, if everything's in him and everything's made by him, he's the one who can reconcile everything back to him. Everything. Every distant sun, every different planet, every distant planet, every, every realm that we cannot see, every unseen realm, every authority, every living, breathing human being, everything that he made, the planet that we're on that seems to be, you know, filling itself with plastic or, or getting too hot. You know what? He reconciled it all to himself. 
Because it all came from him and it all existed in him. He was the only one who could do it. Did you hear what I said? He didn't just made it so he's actually the owner of it, but he sustains it. And my reading of the Bible, while they were nailing to a cross, he was still sustaining the you, the universe and you. They killed the one that gave the life. They killed the one in whom we all exist and in whom we all have our being. They killed him and he died, which means you died. And his blood forgave and his death reconciled an angry, alienated humanity in control, under the control of evil. And he reconnected this angry, alienated, evil society, evil, corrupt universe back to himself through his blood on a cross. He made peace between the cosmos and himself. He didn't just die for you, he died as you. Which is really important when we get to the rising from the dead bit. And he says to us, he says to us, doesn't he, abide in me as I abide in you. It's because he's reconciled you to himself in your evil, broken, lowly estate. You're already reconciled to him. He's already abiding in you. Now he's asking us to abide in him. Do you see? If you're grumpy, he's still there. If you don't want him to be there, he's still there. If you're having a bad day, bad week, bad year, bad life, he's still there. He just wants you to abide in him. Was you to respond to his abiding presence. I wonder if we could stand together. I just want to do three things to, to land this. I find this tremendously exciting and awe-inspiring. It feels like holy ground. We're, we're in holy ground here. We're in glorious territory but just remember early Christians were singing this stuff over and over because because if you know who he was you'll discover who you are if you know who he was will embrace the truth of what he really did which was much bigger than dying for your sins getting you to heaven so much bigger trying to give you a good life is so much bigger, so, so much bigger. And we're part of this glorious plan. And uh, he lives in us. So I wonder if we can just do three things together if you'd join with me in this. And I'd like to do it just by taking a breath and then 
speaking something out. Remember, his first breath was a crucial breath. So it's a prophetic act, really. You're breathing all the time, whether you think about it or not, but I want us to be conscious of this one. Take a breath and take a moment, and as you breathe out, say, I thank you, God, that I am alive in you, and you are alive in me in all your fullness. Can we do that together? Three, two, one. Thank you, God. Alive in me, and I'm alive in you in all your fullness. That was reasonably good. I'd like to do another breath and just as we do it, just ask him to reveal to you how close he is. Just do it in your own time. But ask him, show me how close you really are. One last, one last one. I want us to take a third breath. Jesus breathed three crucial breaths. The first one, the last one, and then the other first one. I want us to take a breath and in this, let's just ask him to show us that the light inside of us can't be put out. No matter what your mate, what, no matter what your unresolved, apparently unresolvable, unhealable, unredeemable, dark, clawing issues are in you and around you. As we take this breath, ask him to show you that his light is on the inside and it can't be put out. In fact, the light in you is going to overcome the apparent things that are unresolvable, unhealable, dark, and unredeemable. That's the truth. He's already at work. Can we do that? Just in your own time. He's already at work in this room, in every life, in every broken spot, in every unhealed bit of a body, in every traumatized part of a brain, in every hopeless feeling he's already underneath them inside them with his light to bring resurrection nothing you can dream up can overcome the light he's already overcome the worst that humanity could think of and he won why would we think he can't win in us So Father, thank you for your breath that you put in your son. Jesus, thank you for breathed the first breath out of the womb. You breathed the last breath on the cross and you breathed the victory breath out of the tomb that brought you out of the tomb. And all the time we were in you and you were in us. You were thinking about us, caring for us, acting for us that we could live like you live. 
you are truly a model of who we originally purposed to be. And we just can't help but worship you. I can't help but if you just want to worship him, he's amazing, isn't this amazing? He's just beautiful. He's just incredible. It's just beyond words, beyond, oh, Jesus. If you have a song in the spirit, just let it rise. you ever wondered why he gives the gift of tongues? It's to let you know he's inside you. It's a new language. Him talking. And then we probably need to get our children. But just keep going. Speaking tongues, singing tongues. And then if we could have the ministry team out the front while we're all doing that, that'd be